O flower of Scotland, when will we see your likes again that fought and died for your wee bit hill and glen and stood against him? Proud Edward's army and sent him homeward to think again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I wasn't expecting that, but thank you, Stuart. Honestly, that was painless, no? For you. <laughs> I've done it before. I've told everybody that I've done it before. So we've all done it. So I, I want to thank you for doing it. Thank you. Yeah, well. Just come a little closer to the mic. Thanks all for good. having me. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited about this show. I know that we talked on the phone and, and we're going to have a very good show about what Altera is up to and what you're up to and uh, what's going on in Canada these days. Is it mostly Ontario? It's mostly Ontario based, right? So it's really downtown Toronto. Downtown Toronto. GTA. We have one project outside in Oakville, but. Uh, yeah, pretty much all downtown. Nice. Uh, let me share out I, two things. I got a Brawley's Dad t-shirt I'm wearing today. I wear another company's t-shirt on every single show just to give them a shout out. But I've got Stuart Wilson here from Altera. Uh, you guys have been around 50 years. Correct. Not you. Well, well, I've been around 50 years and they've been around 50 years, but I missed most of it. I've been with them for six and a half years. Nice. So Altera has, uh, they started off as a small, smaller home builder in the West End. And that's Ancaster, that type of place. Building what? Single family dwellings? Single family homes, track housing. Wow. And they kind of graduated bit by bit, probably 20 years ago, started doing small mid-rises and then made their way into the city. And now, you know, I'd say we're probably in the top 10 builders in the city and developers. So we are a full service developer builder. We purchase the land, we rezone it, we do the sales. We finance the construction and we build it ourselves with our in-house team. Well, at least we do the construction management. Obviously, we have to rely on the, the trades and the workers, but uh, yeah, it's a team effort. Probably takes about eight to ten years for each project. It's pretty involved. Wow, really? So it's not just a matter of walking by and or driving by and getting stuck in traffic and running by all these job sites that are going on in Toronto where there's a lot more going on than what we just see right then and there. It's honestly, the variables are endless. Yeah. Uh, you know, I describe it every day, getting up and getting punched in the face and just trying to walk forward slowly. If we can do an inch a day <laughs> to, to do 10 miles, that's, that's how it is. Uh, I want to share uh, www.altera.com and then I guess an email to reach out to. You don't want anybody to reach out to you directly or no? You don't want anybody... Uh, I, I don't mind, nothing to hide. Well, no, no, I, I guess I'm also thinking about if anybody's listening and they're curious about possibly employment or something like that, because obviously well, sure. you guys are so, constantly um, looking for good trades, right? Yeah, so info at altera.com. Yep. Uh, we receive uh, resumes every day and uh, always looking for good people. You guys are all over social media as well too, no? Primarily on, I wouldn't say, or... We are. Instagram, yeah, IG, on of Instagram. Course, right? I am on Instagram myself, Stuart Wilson Altera, and I'm... Uh, I but that's mostly about football. It's football not, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite challenged. I don't do anything about football <laughs> at all. Uh, I'll complain about my knees. It's all pictures of the projects, and I am on LinkedIn quite heavily. Nice. Okay. So, all right, let's get into the nitty-gritty of things. I want to, first of all, a little bit of your CV, I guess, and your history and getting into. You didn't come from construction. You started elsewhere, right? Uh, no, I, I was. A, so, I uh, originally, I was a quantity surveyor, which is not necessarily a discipline you have here, so kind of estimating. Yep. Um graduated from university in 96 with a master's in construction management. So I went to Hong Kong, worked on site for three years, building an underground station, which I 
was too young or too stupid to understand exactly how important that was at the time. Um, Valuable experience. For sure. Yeah. I came here in 99 and started working for Hellier Cost Consulting. So right at the start of the condo boom and started getting involved in advising developers on how to manage their costs, how to budget their costs, building pro formas, working with the banks and the developers and taking it all the way through, holding everyone's hand through the process. You know, definitely winging it for the first few years. But as a result of that, I've, you know, I've got an incredible network of who's who in development downtown, who's who in construction financing. And after 17 years of doing that, uh, with my wife's approval, um, I jumped over to development, working with Rob and Richard Cooper at Altera. It's been six and a half years, and uh, I've just been made president of the company. So must be doing something, something right. Something right. Not sure what, but yeah, you know, so I've, I think I've picked up an awful lot along the way about the both the macro and microeconomics of construction and development. Toronto has changed dramatically, no? Like in the last quarter insane. century. It's insane how much, I mean, there's a lot of cranes. I know we've shared it on the show. I think we've got the most amount of cranes in the air right now in North America, um, which is actually great, and I guess it's a good or bad thing. But I, how was Toronto for you when you first got into it and you're seeing it a quarter century ago versus how it is today? I mean, you're right, it's changed immeasurably. So when I came, you have to understand I'm coming from Hong Kong. So, you know, it seemed like Sleepy Hollow to yeah. me. Uh, the other thing is I, I didn't understand the path system. The path system really threw me off when I you're came. You're the only one. Because I, I couldn't understand why there was no people. You know, I was downtown, I was working at King and Simcoe, and you'd come out on Friday at five and you're thinking, right, why is there four people and a dog on the street in the biggest city in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. Then I realized after about a year that they were all underground. So, but it has, I think, to be involved in building something new, changing this the skyline has been a huge amount of pride for me. You know, I, I am Scottish and I sang the national anthem on the side, but I am Canadian as well. And I'm extremely proud to be here, proud Canadian. So to to have my own little hand in changing the skyline is is fabulous. It's a real joy and a gift, and, and I appreciate it. It's such a daunting task, though, when you're taking these structures and you're taking what's little, what's left, I guess, land-wise in Toronto, because we're slowly seeing the disappearance of so many parking lots, and, and that's becoming the next structure that's going up, whether it's your company or other companies that are contributing to the whole new landscape and infrastructure of the city, like... How do you guys begin that? I know you mentioned eight to ten years, but how does it, is it as simple as we think it is? It's not, right? Like, this is not a simple task. I, I think it's not. I, I see it quite simply. Like, I have a very clear vision on how to get from A to B. Um, but the same way that, you know, I, I would even imagine how to put your job together um, and ever, anyone else's job. When we see a piece of land that comes up, you know, we either drive past it and we see it and we think oh, that's an interesting little assembly we could maybe do something here we have a good idea of what can be built on most corners and you know usually i'd say i would get five emails a day on pieces of land that might be available people looking to sell and you know we start doing our due diligence the, the team comes in and we go through a full checklist of all the items that are going to affect the feasibility and the economics and the buildability and we just go through it and we check it off and it comes down to, is this going to work or is it not going to work? And if it works, we figure out how to get the equity, how to get the financing, tie the land up and move on. It's a lot of work for me. 
I just I'm looking at it. I know that it's I'm, if you translate it, I guess, to just single family dwellings, and you're working. It's it's similar steps, but it seems like it's just bigger steps at that point. Right. We have to deal with a lot of building departments, planning departments, everything like that. You have to deal with almost every department that's associated with the city when you actually start touching a piece of land, right? Everything. Yeah, even before you've bought it, you get a pack meeting with the city, you, you meet with the planners, heritage are involved, engineering, transportation, parks, trees, everybody. Everybody has got an opinion on what you should be doing. And you have to take that on board. Very, these are our partners at the city. You know, we are, they are allowing us to improve the city. And, you know, we take that relationship very seriously. So every site has problems. There, we have run out of green fields in downtown Toronto, and you mentioned parking lots. Unfortunately, we've run out of those as well. Mm-hmm. So every site is an assembly of, you know, old houses or old retail or old, if you're lucky, you might find an old factory. So you're either dealing with heritage or contamination, soil problems, bearing capacity problems, hydro G, water issues, neighbours, building constraints. And a good example, if you had a parking lot, perfect parking lot in an island with four streets on either side, it's reasonably easy to build. You can pull a truck up, you can unload, uh, you've got good access, you can swing a crane. Most sites these days, if you have access on two sites, you're lucky. You've got to put your crane up, you've got to put your hoist up, you've got to get the the guys in and out, the material in and out. And if you're unlucky, you've only got one street frontage with 40 feet and you have to build an entire condo there. But it's just part of the process at that time. You just figure out the logistics behind it to make it happen, right? Right. It's, I mean, it's time and money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we get through, you know, a couple of years of rezoning and you hand it to the, the marketing and sales team and they give you a really hard time. What, what were you thinking, agreeing to this? Well, how am I supposed to sell this? And then you get to the construction guys and you're wearing a, you know, an anti-stab vest because they're saying, how are you going to build this? This is insane. But that's just part of dealing with construction in, in any downtown. But construction in general. It's challenges. On a daily basis, it's challenges, right? I'm sure you get your set of challenges per day, per week, or whatever, and then per project, and and you you just accomplish them. Of course. So, you know, we're in the problem-solving business, and every day is a problem. You know, how do you get around this problem? How do you deal with this neighbor? How do you deal with, you know, these construction challenges? You you figure it out, you overcome. We've got some very smart people that work for us directly. We have some incredible trades that, that are fabulous at solving all sorts of construction problems I couldn't even conceive of. We have probably some of the best consultants in the entire world working in high-rise construction downtown today. So we got a great team. We'll just we figure it out and keep moving. Is Toronto growing in a in a more positive way? I mean, I've seen like I guess it would have been for me when I was starting to pay attention to Toronto's new city line would have been i guess the late 80s when when skydome at the time everyone knows there's rogers center was being built and all of a sudden the city place was coming in and everything like that and everyone started creating these new towers coming downtown and it was literally changing the skyline at that point but are we going down a very interesting positive path uh compared to other cities i guess because you're coming from us uh, from hong kong and we're seeing other other cities grow differently than toronto do you know what i mean i do i mean it's it's tough to know where it's gonna end you know if you look downtown at all the new condos that have been built and i mean i would guess that we've built something like five hundred thousand condo units since i've been here which is bonkers it's insane bonkers yeah um 
I I look around outside that sort of condo land, and there's so much interesting stuff. You know, if you go Bloor West or Dundas West, I'm a Westie. You know, there's great little pockets, there's great little back alleys, there's some really cool stuff. So I, I don't think I worry too much about the stuff that we're changing because, you know, Toronto is just absolutely ginormous. You know, you come into Oshawa and you keep driving and it's just Still sprawl until yeah. you get to Stony Creek. So we're not running out of um, development opportunities any time soon, and there's still lots of older stuff that's got that um, grime is not the right word, but character, but character and interest yeah. in dark alleys and cool little spots. I went to a place in the Junction last week, the Junction Underground, yeah. to uh, listen to some live music, and we still have miles and miles and miles of that in Toronto. So I'm not too worried that... Uh, these high-rise glass towers that we're building are, are changing for the worse. We're just creating a new pocket of something different. I do appreciate when I do see... I get two different feelings when I'm looking at construction sites because I am a fan of seeing your hoarding going up there and, and having the little pockets of windows so then we can look in and we see the pit and everything's all the shoring is done. And it's just... It's the beginning of construction and you can only anticipate what that structure is going to look like. But I, I truly respect when like yourselves and other companies hang on to the heritage of a structure and whether you've got the inside of it and you still kept the face of it somehow and you tie it into the new structure i like that i like seeing those braces on there and hanging on to that history and then adding the new element attached to it and then growing that construction from that point i would love to see more of that just like how you said there are pockets in leslieville and blora west everywhere that you could find these little buildings that can become these huge structures that are attached to it. So you still keep the neighborhood character in that area, but you still update everything. We need to still update. We need more units. I mean, you talked half a million units in the last 25 years. We need these units. That's the thing. Oh, we do. I mean, you only have to look at the uh, the immigration that's yeah. happening right now. I mean, yeah. I think it used to be two or 300,000 a year. I think in the last couple of years, it's been 500,000 a year. So... You know, these people need to live somewhere, they need to be educated somewhere, they need to work somewhere. So we cannot build fast enough. We don't have enough skilled workers. Uh, we have a lot of constraints on approvals. But I, I think there's so many positives to take from the Toronto market that I don't worry too much, we'll figure it out. Um, but you're right, there's nothing worse than getting to a construction site and they don't have the hole to look through. I'm like you. I, I cannot pass a construction site with it. You know what I do what like, though, do. is that back in my day, I guess when I was down in Toronto and I was studying in the mid-90s, it was always you get the hoarding up and then you get all the plastering of whatever current concert, movie, whatever event. I, I like that I don't see that anymore. I just felt that it was almost a slight disrespect to the construction site, what was going on, where the, the site wanted to keep things clean, this is our hoarding. This is our image. This is our brand, right? And, and no, no offense to the posters that were being slapped on there. I just like that it's a lot cleaner looking now. It's more of a legit construction site now that I look at when I walk by, and I'm just give me the whole. I want to take a look at the the workers that are working away, and they're starting at the very beginning to get to the very end, right? For sure. And from our perspective, you know, we want our name there. It's, yeah. it's all part of the cycle. You know, we we need to sell to to the the future owners of these condos and you know we want to have a brand presence but you're right it used to look a bit scabby and now i think it looks super cool we have to incorporate some artwork from local schools yeah and you know it's a bit it's a bit more of an art moment as opposed to you know just some graffiti and you know 
con- you know, concert poster, as you say. But the construction sites have have changed. You know, the, the money that goes into making sure that the hoarding is branded is huge. It's important. Think, well, I think so. It's certainly important for our business. Yeah. But it, it's important for the, the I've mentioned the neighbours already. I mean, I, I am fully aware of what these neighbours have to go through when they are having a condo put up you know, 100 yards from their, their house. It's a lot. So they, they want to feel that we've come into this neighbourhood and aren't taking advantage. So keeping our sites clean is important. Making sure that our workers are being respectful when they're out in the streets, going to the coffee shops is important. Uh, making sure that we don't start too early or work too late is important. And I think the branding on the site is, is very important. It's just cleaner, sharper, and hopefully it's, it's a little bit better for the neighborhood. It's not an eyesore. Has the, uh, you know what's funny is I haven't heard the sound in a while. You probably have heard it more than me. Coffee truck gone completely? Are we coffee oh. truck on the verge of a payphone? I don't think so. And it's still there? You still well, hear I mean, the horn? You, so you take downtown. I mean, if you got, if you got a coffee shop nearby... That's what I mean. Is it's that great, the coffee trucks, right? You Are go to... You, you look at some of these condo sites up in Vaughan. I mean, you'd be a, you'd be a good hike from a... That's true. ...from a coffee shop. So, no, the, the guy, the coffee truck, he's going to be there he's for quite like some time. <laughs> he's got that little I get horn. the sense that he's going to disappear one day. Just like, it just seems like... Because there's so many other options, I guess, on the street or whatever, and then no, he's he's still there. I'm sure the guys are Ubering it as well too, coming to the site, but that's a different story. Probably, I think <laughs> I would frown on that. <laughs> I want to get into some of your projects because I, I, it was refreshing to see some of the recent projects and the brickwork, and I, I've got a huge love for for masonry and and that skill set, and I know that there's two projects that you guys have just one's recently completed, right? And I think one is uh, so the Ace Hotel is completed, right? This hotel, which is love it, beautiful, like absolutely stunning. It's outrageous, um, and it, I, I mean, but then there's also another bit. I don't even remember the name of it, but the brickwork is almost like a basket weave pattern. Right, that's Rush Condos. That's Rush Condos. At, okay, uh, yeah. Richmond West and Augusta. Okay, all right. So how is that? I mean, it's nice and refreshing to see the architect and the designer get on board, coming in and bringing these elements of brick, which is traditional, and it's not not just making it glass and steel. Right. I mean, and, but that's, that is our challenge as developers and, you know, the design community wrestles with it every day is how do, you, how do you have that juxtaposition of glass on one corner, brick on the other, uh, wood on another? Like, it, it, you know, we all, ha- we all contribute to the fabric of this uh, city and we're, we're very aware of what we put up is going to last for 100, 150 years before someone pulls it down. So... Shame on us if we're not thinking about how you and everyone else walk by our finished buildings and interact with that first two floors, or or seven floors, or 40 floors, whatever it is. Uh, shame on us if we don't spend time working with the architect to create something interesting and vibrant and exciting. So the Ace Hotel you mentioned, um, you know, really a, a labor of love for all of all involved. Uh, you know, we built that during COVID, which oh, wow. had its own challenges. Um, building the anything commercial, and the hotel was commercial, wasn't considered an essential service. So we were working, and then we weren't working, and then we were working again. And it was kind of torture. And, and you know, we didn't want to work too hard either, because who wants to be the proud owner of a finished hotel in the middle of COVID when no one's going to a hotel? Nobody's so. I think when we first shut down, we had about 90 guys working on that site. When we reopened, yeah, they trickled in at 25, 30. And, you know, we kind of complained, but we didn't complain that hard because there was no market. Mm-hmm. 
but that architecture, everyone will tell you their, their building's the best. But I'm telling you, I will hold a Bible. That is the most incredible addition to the city in the last 20 years. And I've seen, I've been involved in four or 500 projects as a cost consultant. Uh, it is spectacular. I would encourage anyone to, to go and see it. It's uh, 51 Camden Street, downtown Toronto. It's sort of Kitty Corner to Spadina and Richmond. Yep. And outside is very attractive. It's this sort of iron spot brick that's uh, put into precast and really unusual sort of standard patterns. So they've gone so simple that it it's stands out how effective it is. It's almost a juxtaposition of that pattern weave on Rush. It's so yeah. simple, but it, it, everyone loves it. But the, the true architectural genius that Shim Sutcliffe created is inside. You have these formed archways, seven yeah. formed archways. Um, they are insane. So those were all pre-crafted, like they were... They were formed on site. And shout out, to, site. shout out to Verde Alliance, okay. who created them. So they were hand-formed, so they, they had to hand-form these curved archways which have stainless steel inserts What was the distance them? between them? Like, how far are we talking about? There's a good span there. I was going to guess at maybe 25 or 30. Could be, yeah. yeah. I, I actually don't know that. Okay. Yeah. But they're also board form, so they're not yeah. using plywood. They actually have real pieces of wood that, that was the formwork. And you, you can see the grain of the wood on the form. See, that's uh, a challenge on site to do that to pull that off and the way it finished was very impressive because in my opinion when you look at it it looked like it was manufactured off-site and then delivered and installed but it's not nope all, all done on site wow. and you know i've looked at those those archways a hundred different ways I, they are perfect i cannot see you know there's not an angle where i go oh that one's out a little bit they are perfect uh there are a very small number of companies in toronto and the world that could pull that off so incredible and just most people don't see it you know i walk in and i i marvel and how wonderful it is you know there's wood and there's concrete and there's brick and there's steel it, it's almost the opposite of the four seasons um it's so natural mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's a pleasure every time i walk in i'm st i see something new how was that feeling when you first walked in there and it was open for business um i guess after the the pandemic and it was actually really open for business that you got to see everyday people experience it for the first time it's amazing it, yeah it must have been such a, a so when we started the journey there was a lady from the ace uh who you know we were griping about something it's a it's a real process building a hotel it's not like building a condo where you have to you know it's just building materials you have to get every pen and pad and bed and cup and sachet of coffee you know it's a complete head wreck so she said to me look it's all gonna be worth it she says that first beer that you're gonna have is gonna taste so good and honestly she was right i remember having my first drink there's people in the lobby best beer i've ever had mm -hmm. and i've had a few <laughs> it was such a pleasure and now when i go and i see people enjoying the restaurant and staying there and asking front desk for more towels, whatever they're doing, to have that pride and knowing that we created that is like nothing else. How was the schedule on that one? Were you guys pretty good, I guess, outside of the funny business that was going on? But was it relatively on time, like when you guys worked on any things? And I mean, I'd say it wasn't. And again, when, you, when you're creating a unique 
building. It's really, you'd have to see it to understand. Very small site. Quickly turn digital measurements into efficient gains for your business. With iGUIDE, you can turn around DWG floor plans within 48 hours, easily share project files with partners, and create 3D walkthroughs for your clients. Stop struggling with inaccurate measurements, manual processes, and inefficient project planning and collaboration. Discover how you can boost productivity and cut costs with a virtual demo. Visit www.goiguide.com forward slash AEC to connect with an iGUIDE specialist. Uh, how do you factor tight. that in, Stuart? Like, how do you factor in the variables realizing? Because when you get started, you're, you're management. So you're, you know what things are. T- you're figuring out the game plan, right? So you're figuring out start to finish. But then you're figuring out also variables. You're figuring out what unforeseens. You're figuring out all these things and anticipating where that goal line is going to be. How do you walk that path? I think on most conventional projects, it's a, it's a lot more linear. You know, you can see how to take a standard floor plate and how many weeks it's going to take per floor. That's pretty straightforward. On ACE, I don't think any of us really understood what we were getting into. And I think if we knew at the start what we knew at the end, we may reconsider uh, even going ahead. It, it was a lot of work. Really? And I think it was tough to figure out the true impact of COVID, as I say, we went from 90 guys to 20 guys. The supply chain completely and utter, utterly down. broke down. Yeah. Um, you and I talked about COVID before we came on air. The impact it had in our industry and our workers was ginormous. And so you layer that on to one of the most complex buildings that I believe has been built in the city. And yeah, you know, did we miss the schedule? Yeah, by a little bit. Maybe a bit more. But in all fairness, yeah. I but mean, I would say that by the time we did finish it, the market had returned. So great, good for us. We opened up and everyone showed up. So maybe we timed it to perfection. And you did kind of pick almost one of the worst spots in Toronto to build, like logistically speaking. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't easy. And I guess you guys just kept on adding more challenges on top of challenges to just make this happen. But looking back, now you're ready for something else. I think we've figured out that if we can build that, we can build anything. We have another project that used to be a gas station, and we had to go down four levels. We had to figure out how to remediate all that soil. We had to create a bathtub. We had to create a vapor barrier so that the contaminants that are already in the ground weren't going to come back into uh, the condo. So everything was already tested. There were contaminants in there at that point. It was a gas station. I mean, the play so was it was polluted. You know, yeah, it had been okay. a cheap old gas station for fifty years. So, uh, again, when you finish something as complex as that, you go, okay, it's a it's a learned skill set. So, how do we parlay that into doing it again? Because we already made our mistakes and we learned our lessons. And it's the same in the hotel. Uh, we will often have meetings down there with you know potential partners, and we will explain to them the challenges that we had because. We're not in the business of hiding anything from our partners or investors. We lay it out 100%. You want to invest in condos? Great. We want to have you on board, but we will not lie to you. We will tell you it straight. Our problems are your problems. And we, we will lay it out from start to finish what they're going to encounter. But hopefully they'll be part of the process. Hopefully they'll be proud of what we as a group build. And contribute and, and to yeah. and contribute to society, and, and but you know make a couple of bucks along the way, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do. I I love that. Um, I w- I'd love for you to actually start. None of this happens without boots on the ground, right? And there's a lot of 
people that are involved that are wearing the hard hats that are on the site that are actually just taking everything that's already been brought to this point and then taking it over and then making all these making these pieces of paper happen become a reality right and how is that workforce like you've seen it and you see it either grow or change or move on but you see a lot of people that have a lot of years in the industry working there and before like off mic we were just talking about how they're almost invisible unsung heroes that they're creating traffic in the downtown core by blocking off a, a lane or two or what have you but they're men and women that are walking into the job site and contributing and doing their day's work and getting that effort out there and they're bringing a lot of skill to the table um, how do you guys handle like how that that altera workforce so first of all we we are managers we're not you know we don't have our own forces yeah so we are subcontracting all that work to trades, but that's pretty normal, you know, yeah. no different. It's the way the to, business is, yeah. No different to anyone else. Um, I think, first of all, you have to start with respect. And, and again, we did talk off air about this. I appreciate the work that the men and women do on site. It's hard, it's physical. They're working in minus 25 and plus 40. It's long days, they start at seven in the morning. They often work weekends. Uh, I understand how difficult that is and my the respect I have for these people is monumental. They are doing work that I couldn't do. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the skill set. Probably don't have the physical strength. And I have huge respect and support for the guys on site because they're the ones that build it. Yeah, I can sit and tell my kids that I built it, but I didn't build it. They're the ones that built it. They figured out all the details. They looked at, uh, you know, 100 drawings and figured out how this connects to that mm -hmm. and, and how the windows have to be connected to the structure and caulked and insulated and waterproofed. Geniuses. I couldn't do that. And, and I think they genuinely don't get enough respect from, you know, I'll say the downtown crowd, you know, the university-educated crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, and many of our construction workers are university-educated, but they are they're phenomenal champs. They really are. I and they laugh about it all the time. They come to work every day with a smile on their face, and they're great fun to be with. They pull it together, and they make it happen. It's just they enjoy doing it, and they appreciate it. And I've seen a lot of it being shared on social media, and it's, it's fascinating to get that perspective when you see them, where they're sharing certain details that are being made on certain floors at whatever height it is or at the starting or the middle or the end of the process. Um, it's just nice to get a glimpse into that world where it's more than just worker, worker bees, so to speak. You know what I mean? I think that everybody that's on a, a project like that contributes a lot more than what we assume they contribute, right? Generally speaking, we know who it's they bonkers. are. Yeah, it's totally bonkers right. how hard these people work. Yeah. And listen, I know how hard they work. You know how hard they work. You know, we know the respect they deserve. So kudos to them because they are out there every day, whether it's raining or snowing yeah. or too hot, yeah. they are out there doing it. And it's difficult. They're not sitting in air-conditioned offices. <laughs> no. <laughs> they are out there carrying tools and living with the elements. So fair play to them. Why did, because um, Atera is mainly focusing on Toronto. Why, when they got started, did they start with Toronto? Why, they saw something in Toronto so many years back that they realized that there's there's a part here that Altera can actually help? I think probably a little bit of luck and a little bit of judgment. I mean, the fact is, if you're looking to get into condos, Toronto is where Toronto. it's at. Yeah, uh, you'll drive a higher sale price than you will in Vaughan or Oakville or Pickering. I think the first one they did was probably not the first one, but maybe they did one in Dundas, Ontario, 
not exactly condo central. You know, so it's probably a bunch of four four level condos. Okay. But if you want to be in high rise construction, you want to be building 40, 60, 100 stories. You know, Toronto's where it's at. I think the the principals and owners of, of Altair also live in Toronto. So, you know, maybe we're just lazy. I don't know. Uh, maybe we just like well, being close to your neighborhood kind of idea. Stick to your right? knitting. Yeah. You know, we, we have zero aspirations of being that huge across the country type of developer. I don't want to learn the Winnipeg market. I don't want to learn the Calgary market, the Vancouver market, the Halifax market. And I have a friend who develops over like single develop, single small office developer. He loves it. He loves learning new stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty Jetson happy. Across the There's country. enough to learn in Toronto every There's day. Plenty. Totally. So, listen, it's where it's at. We, we we can keep a close eye on four or five construction sites. Within one day, you can drive around them all. Uh, so, we can manage them. Makes sense to do it at that point. When you guys are working with designers and architects, how much say do you guys have regarding what this project's going to look like? You have to walk a fine line. Okay, that's so, what I figured. So the process is simple. You know, you engage an architect. He shows up with the Taj Mahal. He goes, <laughs> what do you think? And we say, we hate it. But we don't say we hate it. We say, well, you know, I could do some tweaks. Here's a thought. So why don't we take out a couple of curves? And, you know, so we push back. Ultimately, we have to try and make a little bit of money along the way. So you, I think people get it. You know, they, they understand that they want to leave their legacy. Their name's going to be on the building. So it has to have that combination of fabulous and make sense. And I think Altera does quite a good job of, of working with our design architects to find that balance. Uh, we do want to be proud of what we build. I want to show my kids what we built. And I want them to say, that's nice, Dad, as opposed to that's kind of ugly and not much fun. So I think... We don't control them too much. Um, we do offer suggestions on how to make things a little bit less expensive. Based on your experience and the history. Of course. It's all yeah. to do with um, economy of scale and repetition. I think if you're going to spend money, it should be on the first three or four floors because that's how we all interact with buildings. We don't often walk around looking up. But you also also has to be attractive from a distance as well because that's the skyline that we see. Yeah. So, you know, we get a lot of compliments on the projects that we've done. And I always joke, it just shows how little control we have of our design team. Because if we had any control, they'd all be stucco boxes that are square mm. with punch windows. Which we don't really need all that, any of that stuff going on. But I guess with the success of Ace, do you guys go into future projects possibly with a little bit more say now? A little more... I think they're all different. You know, we, we try and use different architects um, for different projects. And they, they, all, they all want to do the best work they can. They all want to be recognized for architecture awards. They, they want to be proud. They want to take their kids through. So we're all part of a team. I think we have the same goal. Our goal is to provide high-quality housing for families, singles, couples, whoever's going to live in our building. Uh, we want to leave our mark in the city. We want to make sure that the people that work for us are treated correctly and everybody makes money along the way. You know, we are, I'm going to change the subject because you're talking yeah. about design. But, you know, I know the economics of our projects and, you know, at their peak, they will have 
250 to 400 people working on them. We will have dozens of consultants. We will have people in the city. We will have people in banks, people in insurance offices. The way I see it is that we are creating work and economic prosperity for hundreds, if not thousands of people at any one time. We are paying people's rents. We are paying mortgages. We're yep. sending people's kids to soccer camps. And, you know, we take that very seriously. It's not just about building buildings and, and moving on. Like, we are genuinely a huge part of the economy. And I think in Ontario, construction makes up over 7% of the GDP. You know, we are a huge provider of, of work and growth to this province. And very proud of being part of it. I would definitely encourage anybody that's listening because I've done this before where um, I go to commercial structures or I go to restaurants outside of the norm just to see what and how things have been designed and built and put together to get ideas for residential. And I think that the same is applicable if you go into hotels and other condo buildings and see how those first two, three, four floors have been done. Because you guys are introducing some interesting elements and in how they're being built, just like how you mentioned the archways, make a lot of sense that if you thought about it, it trickles down to just your small little dwelling that's in the suburbs. That, those ideas can be applicable there. And they should be, I think. And everyone that's listened to this show knows how much I have such a hatred for Shaker. I can't stand Shaker. Anything in a kitchen or have you like that. And you guys are doing... <laughs> interesting and, and and i know off mic you were talking about how you thought it was kind of simple but i didn't think it was simple when i was looking at some of the interior designs that were being chosen for faces of cabinetry and things like that first of all they weren't shaker but they were other elements other design elements that were very complementary and very engaging that when you enter the building like the rush i think it was that where you walked in the curves and everything there and the one thing that you have done that has slightly changed my opinion about glass block because i'm a 70s kid and i can't stand glass block you guys have glass block in there, but it's not glass block. It's a different style of glass block, which is really appealing to the eye when you look at it. So I'd encourage any tradesperson that's interested in the industry and wants to kind of revamp their creativity process just to take a stroll, maybe have a pint and just walk in through these buildings and not look at the floor, look up, you know, and just pay attention to oh, what sure. workmanship was there and how it was put together and try to put your mind in that headspace of the designer, the architect, the builder, development, the trades, and all the way back to, you know, just a homeowner, the end user at that point where they're experiencing this, this space. So there is so much going on and when, it, when it's not just literally a brick or a piece of steel or a piece of two by four or whatever, there's a lot going on behind there. And I think that there's a lot of missed opportunities for trades people that are in the business that they can see beyond this and then take it to your small business that you're working on right now, unless you disagree on that. Unless you love glass block. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Look, the, w things are changing all the time. Design changes, and especially interior design. Yeah. I, I, what you said, I had to laugh because, you know, we recently renovated a, a small washroom in our house. <laughs> and you would think that I would know what I wanted, but it's not easy. So no. I, anyone that wants to get ideas, is a, you're 100% right. Go to all the hotels in the city. Go to the condo sales centres. Go and see what the latest trends are. and But you're right, for the trades guys, figure out how did they do that? Because I, I honestly don't know myself. Do we not do that when we travel? Do we not look at historical structures or even new modern day structures and we pay attention to how it was built, how it is being built, and try to figure out how? 
Like we do that as, as I think people. a very small amount of people do that. Yeah. I think only construction people do that. Yeah. That's what you I'm know, saying. Yeah. I, you know, my wife and I go to New York every year and I bore the whole offer every single day. Oh my God, look at that detail. How, how did they even do that? And you know, she's like, who cares? <laughs> she's not that bad. But it's, no, you do the same thing. I, I'm fascinated with it. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm, we could not build, we couldn't build, Two percent of the stuff they built in New York or Chicago, 150 years ago today, we just couldn't afford to do it. And yet, mm-hmm. there was some, you know, some incredible skilled craftsman was there all day doing this ornate brickwork that we just couldn't afford to do today. I agree. I, I love taking inspiration from all these different buildings, old and new, and from a trade perspective. You know, I've I've listened to a number of your podcasts, which are really interesting. <laughs> uh, a real mix of different types of people uh so you have a lot of home renovators that i've heard on and yeah i mean even just looking through magazines going into i love going into restaurant washrooms i love seeing how they've done stuff it's super cool because you just don't know where these ideas are going to come and it's not necessarily i'm asking people to take i'm just saying be inspired and just figure out that there is more possibility on your own project whether it's your own personal project or what have you, but there's a, there's a lot of freedom there that you can actually take oh. a risk at, right? And especially in today's digital age, where we can go across the pond, we can go all over the world and see what's going on. I mean, recently I, I shared on the show where there was tradespeople working in Indonesia where they were using red clay brick in a unique way, and I was, I was just in love with it, what they were doing. And I started thinking, why can't that be applied here in Canada? And it can be. That's the thing. So you, you won't know until you see it and then try to figure out how can I use it and work from it. So, so you guys you, are doing that well. If you love red clay, get back into the Ace Hotel, go up to the Evangeline, which is on the top floor where the bar is, go into the washrooms, and the light fixtures are made from three quarters of clay pipes. Really? There is inspiration everywhere. And again, this, these, none of these decisions came from my brain. They all come from the, the genius architects and interior designers that worked in the hotel. But there is inspiration everywhere. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm pretty partial to taking... Photos in restaurant washrooms. That sounds really dodgy for your listeners. Be very careful. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You're, not you're whipping one. the camera out in uh, restaurant washrooms, but they're they're so cool. They're so interesting, uh, you know. And I wish my house was a lot cooler. But yeah, you're right. They're you so go much back to the shoemaker. But okay, so you you said it earlier at the show that it's about an eight to ten year process. So, is there any way that you could share something that's going on right now that we're not going to see for a few years still? Any projects that you guys are developing? Yeah, this, I, there is one I want to talk out. I talk about. I think recent development. So we have an affordable housing project that we have been working on mm-hmm. since two thousand and nineteen. Uh, it's now twenty twenty three, so we'll be working on it for four years, and we haven't moved it one inch. So CreateTO, who are a city of Toronto agency, who were tasked with creating more affordable housing in the city. Pre-pandemic, they identified three sites in the city that was going to that would be perfect for affordable housing. We we were successful in getting one of those sites. Uh, we moved it forward. We did all the analysis. We had the design. It was already pre-zoned, but we hired another architect, and we were ready to go. It was honestly very exciting in terms of giving back. All you hear now is affordable housing, this affordable housing, that. Yeah, but it's. It's, it's a myth. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as affordable housing because who's paying for it? Are you paying for it? Am I paying for it? I mean, if this guy's paying 
30% below market, that means that one of us has to pay 30% above market. Above market, yeah. So I understand the economics of it. But we were fully committed, and we are fully committed to moving this forward. Uh, the industry has been very kind to us. You know, We've had a lot of fun. We've created a lot of housing, good quality housing. And the challenge is how do you give back? So the site in question is in the East End. It's 254 units of affordable housing. Uh, so our challenge now, having come out of COVID, when, first of all, rents completely dived, costs went through the roof. So the thing was underwater by about 60 million bucks. Mm. And we're not running a charity. We do want to give back, but 60 million is a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'll be passing the hat round at the end. So then rents came back to a certain extent. But again, these are affordable housing rents, so you have to be, they don't just fly up the same way that Yorkville does. Um, the government has given a bunch of concessions recently. Uh, you will have heard that the GST on rental housing is being waived. Yeah. And I've talked about this for years, not that anyone listens to me, but it, 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 we were getting hit four times more than we were 10 years ago because it's based on a percentage of the value of the unit. So if you bought a condo 10 years ago for 400000 you would pay X percent. If you buy that same condo today at 800000 you will pay double that percentage. Yeah. So you're actually paying four times more GST. I, I don't pay it. The purchaser of the condo pays it, and it just goes straight into the feds and the provinces' coffers. Yeah. So the, thank you to federal government they have decided to waive that the Ontario government is going to follow suit that's a big nut that was 20 odd million dollars on this project so that that helped the gap we're working with the good people at create to to figure out a few more concessions and again we're not we're not putting money in our pocket we're just giving less money in taxes and levies and fees hoping they can waive that um, I had the chance to sit with Olivia Chow before she was elected very receptive, you know, and, you know, we're a huge supporter of what she's trying to achieve with affordable housing. So we're finally this morning, actually, which is why it's top of mind, we may have an economic model that might work. Now, for future buildings? No, for this particular oh, for this site. Particular we still one. have it under contract four okay. years later. And it's right. October. I went to that that public meeting in October 2019 and told the head of Create2O, I said, I'm going to build this. Wow. He kind of laughed at me, but I'm still hoping to build it. So that'll be 580 units, uh, 254 affordable. And we have an affordable housing partner right now who has, he's just finished a building with 250 units and he has a wait list of 3,000 people. The demand is insane. And it's what, you know, we're really focused on it. We're really focused on a number of projects that we have in the hopper, but I would love, I would love to be here six years with you saying we did it, we actually we built it. it, off and, it and, then and, and the pleasure you have, whether it's a condo or an apartment or affordable housing, the pleasure you have of seeing people come out of your lobby laughing and joking and pushing a stroller yep. and living their lives in an area, in a, a site that used to be nothing, garbage, uh, is, it gives you a huge amount of pleasure. And I would take a huge amount of pleasure to see affordable housing and people living there and enjoying their lives. Are you confident that the model can work you must be if you've been working on it for four years that this is like a model that can work not just for yourselves as uh, as this builder this developer the other ones should come on board and, and try this as well too in different areas of the city i think very few 
private developers have the capability to buy land and make it into affordable housing. The economics just don't work mm-hmm. um, because we're going to we're going to give rents to people at eighty percent of the average market rent, and the average market rent is already way below what you think rent is. So to to I think a one bedroom would be about eleven fifty a month, which is super cheap. In wow. Don't miss out on huge savings. Visit goiguide.com slash shop and use promo code TCL podcast to get deep discounts on an iGuide system. Everyone loves swag and I love giving it away. So if you're listening and you're interested in learning more about iGuide, shoot me an email, rjohnston at planetar.com or a message on LinkedIn and I'll send you free swag just for saying hello. I've got free t-shirts and toques and I can't wait to give them away. I've also got special offers for TCL listeners, so it's worth your time to reach out. So um, a third of what? They're even less than. It's probably a, just under a half. Okay. So uh, the, the model is there. Again, I'd love to do more of it. It's, it's another example of not trying to get rich. It's an example of trying to give back to a, a city and a country that's been very good for me, and I'm very appreciative. How much do you get into the root story of it? Like, I mean, when you have a project coming up, do you hang out in the neighborhood? Do you look at what the potential is? And, and that, that's all part of the development process, right? Day one. You know, before you buy a piece of land, you got to walk around and... Just see what's going see on. See what's there. And who's there and what's it all about and how is it going to be changed? Totally. I mean, we, we to. went to look at a site about six years ago. I don't think we were there 20 seconds before we got offered crack. <laughs> and I'm... I'm not know, laughing at that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting over it. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, but, but that's what development is. Development is seeing the potential in something yes. that isn't quite there. I mean, anyone can build in Yorkville. You know, it's already nice, so yeah. you're just building something else. What you're trying to do is look at the fringes of what is currently acceptable to, to live in for some of these downtown professionals who would be the ideal clients that we're looking to sell to and just moving them that extra block further away. So you have to walk the neighborhood, you have to understand who lives there, how much density is already there, what amenities are there. Are there gyms? Are there restaurants? Are there parks? How are we going to be impacting? Are we going to be able to improve it? And I'll give you a good example. We, we're building in Corktown right now. Hopefully we'll have the opportunity to put one of these pictures on the screen. It's, it's quite a, a dense building. It's 12 stories, but there's 379 units. Okay. Um, we worked with the, the neighbourhood, actually. I mean, obviously, they were initially against us. But, we, you know, we met with them. We took their concerns on board. And I genuinely believe that we have a better building today than we would have had if we just steamrolled them and, and done our own thing. Now, walking that, you know, they didn't want us. Of course, nobody wants a condo near them. But walking that neighbourhood, I remember going into a bar and... Yeah, it was a little sleepy bar. They coffees during the day and beers at night. Place was empty, and I thought, you know what, this place needs people. Yeah. So, are, are you helping the neighborhood? Probably not, but you are growing it for future generations. You're you're going to create the demand for more services, more restaurants, more bars, more vibrancy, because cities need to be lived in. There needs to be people on the street for safety. The condo lobby will illuminate and create safety for people walking by. There's many good things that, that development brings. We did, a, we did a show recently about sound with Plytech, and um, 
And I'm just wondering, I guess the, the rules and regs have gotten very sensitive with you guys building buildings and then having the city infrastructure around and having that sound, um, I guess, not necessarily proofing, but just sound mitigation, right? Where I, are the building standards dramatically changing to the point where it's a little unacceptable because of how you have to, I guess, navigate these waters, you know what I mean? Like you, you've got the idea of bringing this infrastructure into the city, grow the city, put a nice dwelling there, a nice structure there. But then now you have to figure out how is it going to just be into the city? You know what I mean? So you mean how the noise coming from the yeah. project? Out. And I mean, Toronto's famous for its streetcars, right? And the thing is, the streetcars are done a certain way. And if you've walked in any neighborhood that has a streetcar on it, there's always that click sound that and that resonates through concrete, through pavement, through the structure, through the foundation, through the units, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you guys are working with consultants that are contributing to ideas on how to reduce those sound transfers, right? Of course. Yeah, I mean, it's, you have to take the surrounding area and figure out well, what's coming into the building, but you also have to look at what you're creating and saying, who, who are we going to bother with this? And I'll give you a good example. So... We had neighbors came to us on a project and said, okay, we're, we're going to be opposite your garage door. That's going to be pretty noisy, mm -hmm. okay? So we are more than happy to spend the extra money to get, you know, a very smooth garage door that doesn't end every time somebody comes in and out with a cha-chunk. So we're going to have a soft close, a soft open. We're going to do the right thing for the neighbors. Another example is the, the city tends to force you to build a lot of these tiered... You've seen these terrace buildings that come up? Yeah. Actually very livable, but very expensive to build. So, again, we spoke to the neighbours behind us and they expressed their concerns about people partying, as people do. You know, a nice summer's night, a few beers, get the old Bose stereo out. And we agreed to write into the condo docs that, that we would eliminate... Uh, speakers so people are no longer allowed to bring loud music out to their patios and that's the right thing to do because we all same way you know you wouldn't buy a house and then immediately just crank up your speakers and no. tell your neighbors to take a jump I mean yeah. you want to be a good neighbor unfortunately because you're dealing with hundreds of people we have to put regulations in place through the condo corp to protect our neighbors and, and our own our own purchasers from each other it only takes one guy to ruin 20 guys' experience. Everything, and then yeah. it just becomes that. And then once you, I guess, hear it, you can't unhear it kind of thing, where it's like you've already seen it, so you've already experienced it, so you're constantly hearing it at that point. Totally. But, just drives you insane. And so it's not just about developing just the project itself and just construction and constructing it. It's all the factors. That's why I was asking about if you walk the land, if you walk the area before you even start anything and realize sure. what are we up against? What's going to happen now? And, and we obviously want to leave it a lot better than what, what we found, how we found it, right? Yes. I, I, I will say that the people that are directly impacted by the construction and the immediacy of a new building, you're, you're rarely going to make them happy. You may be able to compensate them, but the question is, what does it look like 10 and 20 years down the line? When new people move in and our building's already in place, are they looking at it saying, oh, that's nice. You know, it's contributing to my experience of where I'm going to live. So there, you can't just take a short-term view, although you have to. You know, construction, you know, when you're shoring, yeah, it's bad. There's, mm. it's very I've been there. Diff I've very been in difficult. those offices, and it's just almost, it's almost rhythmic sometimes. <laughs> the good if you get the right song on. 
right? <laughs> it can be a little rhythmic at that point, but it it's not. It doesn't last forever, but no, it's, it's yeah. a lot, and it's noisy, and, and we feel for people, and we try and do the best that we can. How is technology for construction for you guys? I'm sure that you guys are embracing all kinds of new tech that's coming in. Is Toronto becoming an epicenter since we've got so many cranes up in the air that we're looking at new techniques, we're trying to figure out new ideas? I mean, our, our ground is not the greatest because you're always finding certain things. But uh, there's that rule of thumb where you can never go as deep as possible. You can keep on going as low as you want if you wanted to. There's no rules on that. But no. other than discovering the history. So are we looking at new ideas, new tech, new, new projects or new machinery that's coming from other countries and bringing it to Toronto? It's not as quick as you would think. Okay. And I, you know, I'm watching, the, watching some documentary right now about California. They say move fast and break stuff. The fact is, we deal in a very labor-intensive business. And I'll give you a great story that I've told a couple of times, which made me laugh. We, we were doing some micropiles down on, on Richmond Street, and people were talking about AI and robots, and, you know, is that, is that how we're going to build in the future? Yeah. So I'm watching this guy, a bear of a man. He's got to be 280 pounds, big red beard, and he's, he's holding this micropile machine. He is covered head to toe in this red clay mud that is just getting thrown out as he's trying to drive this pile in. And I'm thinking, I am not sure the app that's going to replace <laughs> this guy. So I, I think on the design side, we're doing things that are better. The tech side for the end user, controlling things from your phone, controlling things from your iPad is wonderful. But in terms of actual construction, I can't see how we're ever going to replace that guy, the drywallers, the I painters, agree. the carpenters, yeah. the guys that get into the corner and go, shit, this doesn't fit. How am I going to fix this? And you go on Instagram, it shows you all the little tricks and how, how you can do it. Maybe AI will figure it out one day, but it's not going to be anytime soon because we are in the problem-solving business. And all these guys that work on site, the guys and women, they are so smart. Stuff that would take me two weeks to figure out, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this a hundred times. And I'll... Jig, 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 and off they go. I think the closest I could see AI contributing would be modular, where you would get a certain amount done, but you'd still need to get boots on the ground and hands-on items to actually finish it and take care of it at that point. But would that really speed things up if you're doing modular and going instead of just pour in place and just work your each floor up and go from there? Like, which one is really... That's where you guys would come in and try to figure out what is the actual better route, but I don't think that the modular or the AI is the better route. I don't think the calculations are there for that. I think we'll end up improving and using AI, we're using tech to, to improve processes. But as in, we are human beings and you know we want to live in something that is appealing to the eye that creates space and light for us. So I, I, I don't see the product changing. Like I, I listened to one of your podcasts where you were talking about wood structure. Yeah. Uh, it little, and, yeah. yeah, it was it was a while ago, and um, yeah, wood structure is great. You, you talked about fire safety at the time. There's really no issues with the fire safety, but if you're living forty stories up, uh, you probably want to be in really thick concrete. Um, so yeah, then I it becomes a seventies movie at that point, right? Yeah, you just you, you want solid, well constructed buildings, and that's what we do very well in, in Toronto. How has it changed? I know that, I mean, you get such homeowners that want to come into these condos and live in these places that are so heavily tech-based. And are you guys 
these tech lines are the, are the buildings becoming far superior, smarter, and all these other amenities that are coming in, and you guys have to factor. And then also, are you talking to consultants that are figuring out what the future is? So maybe it's not AI; it's not building the house, but definitely there's a bunch of AI that's going into the actual condo and the building and everything at like that. So, how are those conversations happening? I think they're happening slowly. You know, a lot of it is a marketing thing. The actual tech in the suites themselves, I think, is fairly limited. So, yeah, can you control your lighting from your phone? Great. I mean, you could also just get up and use a light switch. <laughs> um, can you control your heating from outside? Nothing better. I have a nest. So, you know, if I'm up north for the weekend, shit, I didn't turn the heating off. Great. I can turn save myself off, five yeah. bucks. There's only so much you can do. And I, for me, my, my house is not particularly techie not a particularly techie guy. I'm, I'm comfortable switching the lights off. And what happens 50 years from now when the tech fails or the tech changes? So you're getting that balance between what people want that's not shiny and new and what's going to last for a long time, what's going to constantly switch those lights on and off for 50 years. And, you know, I had a friend who built a house recently and he, he spent, spent a couple of nights loading it all into his iPad so he can control every light. And I, I thought, well, that sounds great. But, you know, I've still got kids and they leave every light on every night. So when I just go around in the basement, switch off 14 lights. You just do your rounds. That's just how it goes. You oh, know, I flush right. the toilets. So I don't know. What, I just figured that you guys would what be, do you want? I guess, using it, like you said, a marketing angle. So it's like these are the options that you can upgrade or use or be a part of your, your unit. And then it, it becomes more attractive to... The younger generation getting in there and understanding that's what they want, right? I think entry is a big thing. You know, everybody's carrying a phone around. So how do you get into your building at night? You know, you can put the fob in your phone. You can get in. Um, You can give somebody access from, you know, you can be up north and you can give somebody access to your suite. But you have to counterbalance that with the risk. You, know, you, you hear about cars getting stolen all yeah, the time, people so jacking like the signal. So You have the convenience, and a bunch of other people can have the convenience too. Right. So yeah. you have to balance what consumers want that's shiny and new versus what's going to last and what's going to be safe and what's going to be controllable. Where do you do your, your homework? Where, Where do, do you look? Yeah, like when you pay attention to others. I, I, listen, I, know, I don't want you to say anything negative about Toronto because Toronto is a nice city. But I mean, are there other cities around the world that are actually doing some interesting work and some interesting projects and things like that? I mean, I travel to two places regularly. One is Scotland and one is New York. I think New York's insane, the stuff they're doing. Uh, when I see, I, you know, we talked about how do we build here with access on four sides and two mm-hmm. sides and... Trauma, it's easy enough. Yeah. Or, uh, you get to and New then York. you go to these bonkers sites in New York where it's so intensive. The, the challenge is just unloading material is, is crazy. So funnily enough, you talk about homework. Yeah, so when we were down in New York, I came back with all these photos, mainly exteriors of stuff that just looks fabulous. And one day we'll figure out how to sit down with, with an architect for a future project and say, I want that. Because, again, our, our mission is to contribute to the growth of the city. And I'm sure I won't be remembered 200 years from now, but the buildings will still be there. Yep. So if you can create something fabulous now that's going to last, that's the joy. So New York is always cutting edge for me. I don't, uh, my, my children are 13, 11, and 6, so I don't travel as much as I'd like to. But 
not in the future. I know Miami's doing some really cool stuff as well. Is it just too expensive to kind of start factoring in other techniques? And when I talk about that, I mean, yeah, New York and Miami, but you also got Chicago, you got Boston. You've got some interesting stonework, some interesting materials that are being used on the facades or what they're tying it into versus when it comes to Toronto, I think it's far and few that you get like an project like the ACE where you have that opportunity to use brick in a certain way like that. But the majority you go back to steel and glass where, okay, so is it a cost thing? It's just going to be too expensive to actually build it. I, I think the rule of thumb was usually if it looks fantastic, it's probably going to be expensive. <laughs> So it's a combination of us moving each other along. We have a very specific uh, city planning and urban design group who want to see certain built forms. We have architects who are, you know, 25 years of doing rinse-repeat to a certain extent. I yeah. mean, the, the buildings aren't wildly revolutionary here, but it all fits into an economic bucket. And when you try and change the the outside to such an extent that it's really expensive. I've had other friends who are developers trying to do it and they're saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to do bulletproof glass and it's going to be this and it's going to be $4,000 a square foot. And I'm like, well, best of luck with that because that's not where the market is. Mm. Toronto tends to tap out about $2,500 a square foot, which is crazy for one square foot. Yeah, Not everyone has $10 million to spend on a condo and there's not that many of them. You go to a place like New York, every billionaire and multimillionaire in the world wants to pop into New York or pop into LA. So we just don't have as many super rich that are prepared to invest in these types of projects. Not how, yet. Well, not yet, but it's it's getting there. Um, how often do we get from the renders? Because I see there's a project that you guys got going on that I, I don't know if it started or it's going to start. 321, right? 321 Davenport. 321, yep, we're at yeah. the bottom of the hole, we're just about to put a crane up. So now, the one thing that caught my attention was the curved glass on the one southern corner, right? Yeah, the southern corner, I think it is. Yes. I'm trying to, well, depends on Davenport, excuse, uh, where does it skew? Excuse southwest or something? Yes. Yeah, so at that point. So it's on Davenport, it's, it's in the inside of the elbow as you go between Avenue and DuPont. Yeah, and... Um, is that curved glass going to stay, or is that going to be like... Well, it's It's going to stay, right? It's going to be incredible. Won, that's so we I'm, won the award. That's what I'm hoping for, right? The Rise of the Year Award. You're worried that it's going to show up and it's going to be plywood. It's not going to be plywood. I'm not going to say <laughs> it's not going to be that, but it's just I would love to see that renders. And that's what I was saying, is like how often do the renders slightly change because you couldn't pull off that one little detail? They, they, it happens, right? It does happen. And you actually bring up a really cool point. So as a developer you're marking yourself and how close you got to the renderings. Yeah. And I have renderings that from the Ace Hotel that I cannot believe how close they look. I have renderings from uh, amenity space at 159 Wellesley that I, I cannot believe that the two are... They're so close, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, we have a very strong VP of sales and marketing, and she's fabulous. And she is extremely particular about making sure that what we render and sell is what we build. And I will tell you that 99% of the time, what we say we're going to build is what we build. And, you know, we kind of chuckle at some of our less reputable competition who do the old bait and switch. That's not us. 
It's so uh, let's it's meet. Disappointing. Let's it's meet in four years, and we'll walk by three twenty one. Hold that rendering, and I will show you that curve class. It's coming. The one thing I will say is that road looks too pristine right now in the render. And I don't know if that road's ever going to stay that way, ever pristine. Have you ever driven that road? Yeah. It's not. It's, it's brutal. <laughs> it's like Hellman Province. I looked at that road and I was like, that's an amazing looking road, but that's not the road that's there in reality when I've driven on that road. Well, Freed just built a building further up the road, so you know he trashed a good stretch of it. Oh, okay, so he's going to get repaved. Uh, yeah, it's, it's in the post. I mean, hopefully there are... You can never count on the city doing the right thing. I suspect that they'll repave it just before we start digging it up again. Yeah, that'll be the, but that'll be how it works. Yeah. If anyone sure. in transportation is listening, can you just wait two, three years until we're finished and then make that road perfect? Because it is on my it is on my way home, and I like a nice smooth road. Um, I'm just wondering what other projects do you want to bring up before we get close to wrapping it up. If there's anything else you want to do a shout out to or like uh, specific things that are going on. I mean, we have we have a lot of projects going on any in particular i think we have probably three projects right now that are ready to go to sales um one that springs to mind that's closer than others is at st Clair in caledonia okay so there's on the north west corner of st Clair in caledonia directly opposite from errol, errol bales park there's a 25 there's a 25 acre park there there's a concrete batching yard that uh, we purchased about two and a half years ago, and it's fully rezoned for 770 units. Southwest? Northwest. Northwest. Okay. So right so, across from the Portuguese bakery. Right. Bingo. Yep. So we have that rezoned, very similar to 321 Davenport. It won't be curved glass, but the, the entire building is curved. Uh, it, what it is is... Two Y-shaped towers. You know they used to do these Y-shaped towers back in the 60s, these apartment buildings? Yeah, yeah. So we have two of them intersecting. This is a modern twist on 60s Toronto. Uh, there are, well, I think, one seventeen and one is 18 storeys. Incredible location, very livable, uh, right opposite uh, JJP, the yeah. community centre and, and yeah. that park. So... We're going to have a rail trail running beside the rail line right there. We're going to do a public plaza right in the front looking on St. Clair. It's going to be amazing. I cannot wait to to launch that. What stage is that at right now? So it's, it's zoned, ready to go. Uh, we are planning a launch you know, either spring or fall next year. Wow. But it's going to, again, it's going to revolutionize that neighborhood. Not everybody will be in favor of it. It is a dirty industrial site. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up because St. Clair is almost prime for that. Like it's prime for a few more structures there. Oh, for sure. Isn't it? Like we sp look how much time I used to live just off St. Clair and yeah. Christie. So I was there during the entire time we were doing that street streetcar right of way. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the LRT. The, yeah. So isn't the whole point of building that so that we can move people quickly from high density? So this one's going to be spectacular. It's a, it's a dirty use right now. We've just um, we've just decommissioned the concrete plant. It's contaminated, and this is exactly what we should be doing: is improving the areas that we go into. So first of all, it's architecturally spectacular, mm -hmm. and we're going to improve a, a a a use that didn't make any sense next to neighborhoods. You know, do you really it's want right to be living next to a batching plant? Doesn't yeah, it's right, sense. At, right at the turnaround of the streetcar line, right? It's actually where they loop around there, I mean. I think that's. I think that maybe is a bit further near Weston. We're at Caledonia and 
at Sinclair. It's maybe Weston Road. Okay, okay, so you're closer to Weston then. No, you're off at Sinclair. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, you, the streetcar's there. You can get into Sinclair West underground in, you know, 12, 15 minutes. How many units again for there? We have two towers, 770 units. Wow. We have another project in North Oakville, uh, Trafalgar and Dundas. Another two towers, 30 stories. Not too far from here. Not far at all. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be another 720 units. I'm very excited about that one as well. We have a small one in Etobicoke, just a little 125 unit. Just a ditzy little project. Still massive. <laughs> And then we have two more that I'll mention. We have one in Davisville, uh, 40 stories, almost 500 units. Again, very close to getting that rezoned. Still Girl Guides headquarters, uh, some heritage. So, so the architect's done a fabulous job of incorporating, as you like, incorporating that into the building. And the last one I'll mention is one that we're working on right now. I, I missed the meeting talking about the planning of it. But it's a 59-storey tower at Sherborne and Bloor. And that is an assembly of 10 houses, 10 heritage properties. We are, we're going to do a fabulous job of, you know, restoring past the ridgeline on these houses. So from the, seat, the street, it'll look 3D. It'll look like you've got the whole house there. Oh, okay. And we'll cap it off past the, past the ridgeline. We'll reinstate houses that have been flop houses and rooming houses for yeah. a long time now. Not the greatest of area there. Yeah. No, but it will be great when we're finished. Yeah. And that's the beauty of what we do, is go in and renew and rejuvenate and create something amazing. When was the last time you applied for a permit? I applied yeah. at City Hall. For your own home or your own... You don't do it. Yeah, I've never done that. You've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture you walking into the building office and submitting a permit and just sliding your business card and just saying, do you realize who I might be? And just no, have a little I, bit I'm of pull. It doesn't work that way, right? More of a numbers guy. Yeah, unfortunately. I but still, I guess in the building humbled. department, they might know who you are or of you or of all. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody, yeah. But they know once you guys are there and you guys leave, then they know who you guys are. You'll have heard of Altera. Whether they've heard of me, I don't know. But yeah. listen, you're not getting any favors at City Hall by sliding the business card anywhere. It's uh, just communication. It's lots of meetings. It's lots of discussing. It's a lot of uh, different departments, city, and I don't know if I would ever want to do what you want to do. I mean, you're doing it well, but I don't know if I would ever want to do it. I just get frustrated and deal with clients on its own. It's difficult. You know, when you when you get to the ground floor slab and you need an above grade permit and you can't get your calls returned, it's scary. Yeah. Because, you know, the former trade has every right to say, sorry, I'm not working without a permit. You're on notice. And you're going to pay for 25 guys that are under each crane to stay home. And you're going to pay for it. Now, it always seems to come through magically. And it's not cake and ice cream. It's relief and crying yourself to sleep because you're so stressed. But listen, the, the people at City Hall have had a, they've had a tough time during COVID as well. They're overworked. There's... Too many guys like us applying for building permits, rezoning. Zoning, yeah. They're doing a great job, and shout out to them as well, because without these people checking the plans, making sure that we're doing things legitimately, these are the guys that make sure that we're doing good city planning, that we're building safe buildings that are livable, and we're retaining heritage. So they're a huge part of the process. Thanks very much, Stuart. Let me do, um, we're going to wrap it up, and i got to do the 10 questions of construction. You ready for this? No. 
You're not ready for this. Don't worry. It's easier than the song. <laughs> what everyday sound brings you joy? Children laughing in a playground. What's your favorite beverage? Beer. Particular? Uh, usually darker and fizzier. A cream ore would be perfect for me. Least favorite tool? Could be anything. It doesn't have to be construction related. Least Just favorite tool? tool. Combine harvester? No idea. Okay. What turns you on creatively? Definitely construction. Definitely looking at other buildings that have been built. What word or concept do you find overused these days? At the end of the day. What's your favorite curse word? F-U-C-K. What's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Any mode of transportation? Uh, Porsche GT2. What do you miss from your childhood? Well, I still have that because my parents are still in Scotland, as are my family. So I just miss everything in Scotland. Uh, if you can master a skill outside of your own expertise, what would it be? Playing the piano. And the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? You did a great job. <laughs> Thanks so much, Stuart. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy individual and, and, and sitting down and talking to us about um, bigger construction and, and big things that are going on in Toronto and Altera is doing a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Thanks for having me. Stuff, you know, so. I, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts Thanks. and you're doing a great job. Thank you. And I think it's important that uh, people have the opportunity to, you know, as they say, speak their truth. And we talked before we came on air about trying to tie some of this development work into the guys on site. Yeah. And I appreciate the opportunity to do that because these are the guys that put the hard yards in every single day. So thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Uh, again, everybody, uh, www.altera.com. And then your email is, it could be info at, if they were interested. Info at altera.com. And then on Instagram as well, it's uh, under Altera. Stuart Alt Wilson, Altera, S-T-U-A-R-T-W-I-L-S-O-N-A-L-T-E-R-R-A. On LinkedIn. Uh, no, on uh, Instagram. On Instagram, yeah, that's right. I want to do that again. <laughs> thanks very much that's it we're done all good thanks Angelina we're out of here